Hi, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I know in the past on a lot of these podcasts I've said, oh, this is such a good book. Oh, this is such a wonderful book. Well, <laughs> okay, I probably oversold them, but I think they are. They've all been really, really good. I want to put this in capital letters, though. This one that we're going to talk about today is an excellent book. It's called A Practical Guide to Culture by John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel. Uh, you may recognize Stone Street as the president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, and he's the co-host of Breakpoint, which is a daily cultural commentary. It was founded by Chuck Colson. And Brett Kunkel, at one time, was really involved with Standard Reason. Now he's got his own organization called Maven. He's launching that, and it's called maventruth.com for youth and parents. So this is a book of... Um, it's a guide for parents and Christian leaders. And so in here they explore things like, what are the unseen undercurrents that are going on today shaping kids and their culture? Why do so many kids struggle with identity? How do we steer kids away from substance abuse? How can we ground them in the biblical story and, and help them in, to really change the world? This book has got so much practical information. E each chapter talks about what's the lie that's being told by our culture to our kids, and what's a good Christian response. So it, it covers, um, gee, these chapters are wonderful. Let me just uh, go through it real quickly for you here. Some of the chapters. Things like they deal with pornography, the hookup culture, sexual orientation, gender identity, affluence and consumerism, addiction, entertainment, racial tension. And so it's uh, things unlike what, what's going on with our culture today, then the last section is how to read the Bible, why to trust the Bible, uh, taking the gospel to the culture. I mean, this thing is just fabulous. Uh, I just uh, can't tell you enough about what a wonderful book it is. It's easy to read, extremely practical. If you've got a child or a grandchild or you're involved with youth culture somehow, <clears throat> you really need to have this book. In fact, think about having Brett come to your church or organization and do a presentation for you. I'm going to do chapter 7, which is called Castrated Geldings and Perpetual Adolescence. And what they're saying is that it just seems obvious today that you have teenagers as kind of a group that's different from children and adults, but they said that's a relatively new human experience. They said kids in the old days used to become adults by way of some kind of rite of passage. Not now. It says there, there didn't used to be a youth culture. But the car came along, teenagers got some money. And it says, kind of scary, because teen brains don't really have the full wiring connections of adults. And so it says, in the past, most cultures helped kids grow up by treating the teens like adults. Not today. It says, today, we fully expect kids to lose their minds during their teen years. And they're saying, by the way, adolescence doesn't end when the person turns 20. It says, typical indicators in the old days... You're an adult when you moved out of the home, when you got your career, when you married, or you had kids. But they're doing all those things later in life. So it's 18 at one time, when you hit 18, that was the end of adolescence. Not now. It's barely in the middle. It said not only are people leaving adolescence later than ever, they're entering it earlier than ever. Preteens get their own TV networks and music and cell phones and fashions and, and so on. And then they point out, by the way, adolescence is something that's sort of like a goal of the entire culture. 
So they, they talk about something here subtitled the perfect storm in this chapter. So why are we getting these perpetual adolescents running around? They said three special factors. First, kids are exposed at an earlier and earlier age to things like romance and graphic sexuality and gratuitous violence. So we're, we're ripping away kids' innocence from them at a very early age, but we don't give them the tools that they would need to grow up. That's a bad combination. Rid them of their innocence, don't give them the tools to adapt to the adult world, and you're heading for real trouble. So first, the kids are exposed to these uh, things like the graphic sexuality and the violence. Secondly, young people are delaying marriage. And they said that's really hard, especially on young women. It says uh, men tend to have a demand for sex, but women who control the supply can are able to decide how much they have to pay for it. And it says sex becomes a cheap commodity. Women are pressured to give in sexually to obtain what they demand, like relational security. So there's a second problem, the delay of marriage. Here's the third problem, and they call this the most important of all. Perpetual adolescents today are living in our culture where there's no moral concept like sin or moral responsibility or having virtue. That stuff's gone. What is it now? Well, a successful life would not be defined as a good life. It's a happy one. So it's safe places and it's trigger warnings and we're all dealing with these fragile victims of anything that disturbs them, these adolescents. They're, they're rarely told that they're wrong or that their feelings aren't reliable. They're told over and over again, you're doing great. Everything that you do is fine. So perpetual adolescence are what they call moral infants. That's a pretty sad thing. And they said, we've got to confront this and call them to maturity and moral responsibility. And they have a quote here from C.S. Lewis. If we don't do this, and uh, we're going to end up with men and women without chess. So what does that mean? Well, let me read that little section here coming from C.S. Lewis because this is that chapter title. Remember, it's called Castrated Geldings and Perpetual Adolescence. Here's what C.S. Lewis had to say. Such is the tragic comedy of our situation. We continue to clamor for those very qualities we're rendering impossible. You can hardly open a periodical without coming across a statement that what our civilization needs is more drive or dynamism or self-sacrifice or creativity. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chess and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Hmm. So what they're saying here is that if you're if you got your kids wallowing in this world of adolescence, they're not going to become men, women who will stand against evil and injustice. They're, they're like wet noodles. They're not going to shape the culture toward the good and the true and the beautiful. It's going to shape them. So what's, what's the way out of this? They said virtue is an antidote for this perpetual adolescence. Virtuous people, pretty obvious, they take on moral responsibility. Uh, we as a culture rarely talk in moral language. True? Yeah, I agree. We don't champion virtue. Look who the most famous people are in our society today. They're either good sports players or they're celebrities of one kind or another, but it's not necessarily virtue champions. Uh, people today don't think in terms of being the right sort of people. We, 
we rely on insufficient means to keep people in line. So what's a substitute for virtue these days? More rules and regulation. Okay, so it's just more stuff to do. And they said rules can provide some boundaries. I mean, there's nothing wrong with rules, but that's not the same as Christian maturity. Rules can't show us the heart of a person. If you tell somebody, just look inside, be yourself. Yeah, but if you tell people who aren't virtuous to look inside, it's like saying, try to find your way out of a wilderness. Here's a compass, but it always points at them. That's pretty interesting, huh? Following your heart, which I've seen, my wife and I have seen in movies. You, that's kind of the tagline in so many movies. Following your heart doesn't work unless your heart know, knows where it's going. Pretty obvious. They're saying freedom can't be sustained without virtue. Well, another common substitute for virtue is motivation. It says what really gets us started is oftentimes something that doesn't keep us going. Living off emotion is pretty adolescent. A trait of virtue is doing the right thing even if you don't feel like doing it. So it has nothing to do, true virtue doesn't have anything to do with emotion. Well, how else can we be t tempted to do good behavior? Incentives. You know, bribery. Kids who do the right thing only if there's something in it for them aren't virtuous. They're junkies, as Stone Street and uh, Kunkel uh, say. Well, where do we go? How do we cultivate people of virtue? And they mentioned that two ancient voices can help us. They talk about Aristotle, and he talked about forming habits. And he says, we need to have habits. Like, what do we love? What do we long for? Of course, what we long for, we're pursuing. So we've got to constantly evaluate the things we long for and what kind of longings we're getting. What about our loyalties? We always find the time and resources for whatever we really want to do. Our loyalties are, are actually being tested every day. What's pulling us away from Christ? What are my labors? What gets our dedicated and focused effort? What are my liturgies? That's the order of worship. Our, our culture has its own liturgies, they say. It's work, it's play, it's sports, it's shopping, it's entertaining, it's eating. Families, they said, should adopt some rhythms of life to counteract these bad habits that waste time in front of TV or computer screens. So, so for, for example, make dinner time sacred. No phones, no other screens, just extended face-to-face -face conversations, part of every day. Don't let texting replace talking. Make church a priority. Make Sundays a day of family rest and conversation. Schedule dates with spouses and children. I told you they have, a, they have a lot of good practical advice in here. So we don't realize how much our culture's calendar of sports and TV and shopping just shapes our values. It says maybe use the church calendar, seasons of Lent and Advent. Devote time alone to answering these kinds of questions that they were just bringing up here. Ask a trusted mentor, they said, a parent or a friend, to answer those questions about you. Can we go through those questions one more time? I just want to make sure you understand. So they said, we need to ask ourselves, what are our loves? What are our longings? What do we long for? What are your loyalties? Notice all the L's here. What are your labors? How do you spend your time? And what are your liturgies? Right? The, the arrangements to create rhythms or habits of your life. So they said, devote time to answering these questions. Ask somebody to Answer the questions about you. Review areas where you need to do some change. In a family, parents can ask these questions regarding their families. If you're a church uh, youth leader, evaluate congregational habits. 
what loves and longings and loyalties and labors and liturgies are sermons and programming and classes cultivating. Okay, so that was from Aristotle, Developing Good Habits. Here's C.S. Lewis. He says, you ought to read the opening of The Abolition Man. That was that part about chess. So he says he criticized education that filled the head with knowledge and the belly with passions, but failed to cultivate the chest. So he says, uh, what we know and what we want are two different things. Lewis says we need a moral will, and that's the chest that he talks about. And they mentioned in uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treaders, that boy named Eustace, he knew a lot of facts, but he didn't really know how to live. So the point is, knowing right from wrong is not enough. Kids need to have a vision for what's worthy of their allegiance. They need to know that Christianity isn't just about how they're going to behave. It's about who they are. They need to know, they said, not just what to stay away from, but what to live for. See, here we go again, how important it is for Christianity presented in a positive way. They give an example. If you just tell kids, don't have sex until you're married, that, that's important. But it's more important for them to know what sex is about, the good purpose of sex, and how God gifted us with sex as a way to fulfill our purpose. To be, They said also, to be a virtuous person, you have to do virtuous things. So you need to get going, get, get out there and do some good things. And you have to practice repentance because we're not going to do good things all the time. We can't fix ourselves. And we can never be virtuous by ourselves. We need accountability because it, sin, they said, I thought this was funny, they said, sin makes us dumb. Without wise voices and accountability, we fool ourselves. We need other people. They quote from Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: iron sharpens iron. So that's why parents and mentors, we've always got to be careful with uh, who our kids hang out with. Uh, they said besides good peers, young people need old people, adults that are older and wiser. So that's the chapter, just the one chapter, and the book is so practical, I would really suggest you get it, A Practical Guide to Culture, and that's No Lies, the great title, Stone Street and Kunkel. Well, thanks again for uh, joining me, and I uh, hope to have another podcast for you shortly.